Uh, big night tonight. I saw a couple. Are you, you rooting for the Eagles, sir? It's good to have you. Uh, any, Chiefs, any Chiefs fans here? Okay, who's with me? Don't care. Anybody don't care? Who's still watching the game? Okay, I'm watching the game, and I'm going to just be honest with you, for the commercials tonight. That's all I care about. If football happens in between, I, I, that's not true. I'll watch football too. Uh, but it's the only game of the year. Just a uh, little peek behind my curtain. I don't watch commercials in any show anytime except this football game. I have figured out the, 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 the science of the DVR. You can tape games uh, an hour and a half ahead of time and sit down and scroll through all those commercials. I have no idea what to expect tonight. I haven't seen a commercial all year. And uh, so, uh, but apparently Super Bowl commercials, th these are the biggies, right? I think they spend like $8 trillion on these commercials now, these 30-second spots. That's not true. Some of you are Googling, and you're like, no, Mark, you're a liar. I know. It was hyperbole. It's for effect. But uh, they're really expensive, and, and, uh, and we get to watch them. There's been some memorable ones. Everybody, on the count of three, if you remember a Super Bowl commercial, a favorite, we're going to say it on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Mean Joe Green and the Coke. Anybody had Mean Joe Green? Yeah. Right on, Kenny. Now, that's from my childhood. Bean Joe Green played for the Steelers. He was drinking a Coke, and he throws his sweaty shirt or towel at a kid. And anyway, look it up. It's online. Uh, because we're talking about these commercials, I thought we'd actually talk through some jingles, some uh, memorable commercials. You might be too young to know these, uh, Tristan, but uh, some memorable commercials for the rest of us who grew up watching them. Uh, I'm going to start. Uh, the first few are going to be songs. Uh, you finish with the uh, rest of the song or the product that they promote. Is everybody ready? All right. How about this one? The best part of waking up. All right. Nice. Who had some Folgers this morning? Anybody have some Folgers? It was super popular in the first service. I think people thought I meant just coffee in general. The whole room went like, oh, I had Folgers. I'm like, none of you drank Folgers. What are you talking about? I, I grind my own beans. I'm a sophisticated coffee drinker. All right. I'm posh. What can I say? How about this one? Ready? Give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that. Wow, you guys, chocolate lovers, all of you. That's great. Here's a more modern one if you haven't been able to play yet. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it. That is totally McDonald's. Well played. Uh, how about some slogans? Just a few. Um, the quicker picker-upper, what's that for? Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. I thought that was clever. I don't think it's proper English, but it's, you know. 15 minutes can save you 15% or more. That's Geico. Geico for your money. Anyway, all right. Uh, uh, how about uh, uh, this one? I, I don't know if Matt got it, but uh, you're soaking in it. You got to go way back. You're soaking in it. Anybody? Palm olive. Who got palm olive? Well done, sir. Can we just talk for a second? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but back in the 70s, Madge was her name, would apparently go from beauty salon to beauty salon and take women's hands and stick them in dishwashing liquid. That was like her whole thing. And uh, it was, as I reflect on it, a very strange way to sell dishwashing liquid. You're soaking in it. It's mild. All right. Uh, you don't care. How about this one? What's in your wallet? Capital One. Yeah. Does anybody know the, the, the actress that was the first to use that slogan? It was in 2016. Bonus round. Anybody know? Jennifer Garner. Who said Jennifer Garner? Well played. All right. 
All right, now I'm going to preach. Can I preach now? Are we done with the commercials? Some of you are here for the first time. You're like, really? This is what he does? I brought my Bible. All right. Uh, okay. All right. Settle down. We're going. Uh, I, I, I arrived at this last one, what's in your wall, because I kind of want it to be where we jump off into our story uh, in the life of King Saul today. Um, what's in your wallet? It, it, it got to me when I heard it. Uh, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, uh, I decided, hey, I don't have that in my wallet, and I need that in my wallet. So I literally signed up for the Capital One Venture card. This is my card, right? Uh, now, there's other reasons. They give double miles, and I can use the money and travel I want, and there's benefits and all that stuff. But it's the only card Eleanor and I use. Every, every bill I have is on this card, um, and it's in my wallet. What's in yours? And some of you are like, I still don't get it, Mark. Where are we going? Is God in this? Yeah. Because what we're going to see today is we're going to see in the story of Saul, a guy who, uh, who otherwise, pretty much for his whole 40-year career as king, is a loser, failure as a leader. We're going to see what perhaps could be the pinnacle of his leadership unfold here in one of the first thing that, things that he ever does as king. You know, we, our presidents talk about the first 100 days when they, when they come into office. Here's all the things that they want to do in the first 100 days, and to varying degrees they do them. Um, but Saul doesn't have any goals. In fact, uh, at least that, that are reported here in 1 Samuel, uh, he has to, a, a, a situation that he's going to react to in our story today. Uh, he's going to be faced with a, a huge uh, situation in, in one of the regions that he's, uh, you know, king over. And, and uh, we're going to see God infuse Saul with his spirit, his power uh, to act as he needs to as leader and to lead uh, Israel in, in, in victory in this situation uh, that awaits us. Now we're going to see that spiritually speaking, Saul in this situation has God in his wallet, where as he moves forward, that's not going to be the case. God's on board, the power behind what happens in our story today. For the challenges that exist in your life, here's my question for you. What's in your wallet? Now, some of you I know, you came to church, you're armed with all the right answers. When a pastor asks you a question, say God or Jesus or Bible, probably one of the three is right. And I know that's the knee-jerk knee reflex response to a question like that, but I, I want to if you'll just do this for me for a second, if you tune out with the rest of the time, that's fine. Not really. But, but if, you know, I understand. If you're tired, if you're thinking about the game, whatever, can you just give me like 30 seconds of your undivided attention and go deep and authentic with yourself and answer that question, who do I rely on in life for real? Not just pat answer, who do I rely on, but legit in the stuff of my life, in the challenges that I face, who do I rely on? Because it's easy to come to church and answer the questions right and walk out of here and do nothing of what you've heard. Live nothing like God describes. I know because I'm guilty of it from time to time. How about that? Want someone to be authentic? I'll be authentic with you. Not always a great Christian. Prone to wander like the old hymn says. Lord, I feel it. I'm just like the rest of you. Certain things come up, things that I need to react to. And my first move isn't God and his power. My first move 
is one of these things. Anybody seen one of these things? This is a Visa gift card. Anybody ever gotten one of these? Someone was kind enough to give me one of these uh, at our anniversary. Eleanor and I had it. Um, these are different from, you know, a, a Capital One card. They have a spending limit on them. This one was, I think, for 50 bucks. Thank you very much. When you get to the end of the 50 bucks, the card's just a card now, right? It doesn't have any spending power behind it. You ever been, in, like, uh, in line at lunch and, and you're swiping your gift card and, and the person behind the cash register keeps saying what it says on their screen? Insufficient funds, sir. Insufficient funds. No, try it again. Insufficient funds. Well, it's all I got. I hope you like washing dishes. Anyway, uh, this is what we do in life. Uh, we've been given by God uh, life first, and then for many of us, life again through his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants us to live this life with him in our wallet, with him as our source, with him as our strength. But we, like so many others in the book that we read, yeah, and then the, the rows that you're sitting in are guilty of looking to ourselves for what we lack. Looking to our money uh, uh, to provide what we need. Uh, seeking security in other things, in relationships, and in you know, our, uh, uh, our, our, our positions in life and where we ascend to. Now, all of those things uh, end up getting... Uh, to the point where they're insufficient in funding what our lives require of us. Uh, we're like uh, uh, my father-in-law. Uh, he had this sweet iPad that uh, he, he used to do all kinds of stuff. And, um, and one day he, he decided he was going to charge it just recently. Uh, but his, he's 90 years old, and so his eyes you know, failed him on this particular day. He took his charger for his Android phone and he jammed it into the lightning plug of, of an Apple product. Um, uh, he, he was just certain that, you know, he, he just wasn't finding it right. So he forced it in there and then left it by his bed to charge overnight. When he woke up, uh, what was the result? This was dead. Battery died, right? And uh, he, he had also stripped out uh, the inside of the charger to the point where when we did put the uh, right charger in, uh, it didn't work anymore. And so now I have a paperweight. If anybody needs a paperweight, um, we have it. And I thought, man, isn't, isn't that us? We're, we're meant to charge off of the power that God gives us, but we're like, no, I'm sure this will work. And we jam whatever cord we think will work in there. And the result, maybe not immediately, but the result eventually is that we run out of what we need. It doesn't work. Insufficient funds. Not only that, we have uh, oftentimes done irreparable harm to the reconnection that we're meant to have with God, and it's harder than it needs to be. Thankfully, um, I haven't been to Apple yet, but they could fix this thing, I'm confident. And if you're here this morning wondering, well, Mark, man, uh, I, I've never uh, sought the power of God, sought to honor God, or I did for a while, and I left, and it's been a long time, and I got lots of stuff between me and him. Look at me. One more time. Listen to me one more time today. One more time. God loves you. Crazy about you. And he stands ready to receive you. And whatever's broken, he can fix it by his grace. Joshua was a general uh, in the time of the 
conquest of the promised land uh, for Israel. They had come out of uh, captivity in Egypt, had wandered for 40 years. Moses Moses has died, but Joshua now leads them uh, into the promised land. Uh, As uh, the battles go, they finally secure. All of the tribes have their territories. Uh, They secure the land. And and Joshua speaks to them, and he speaks a very familiar uh, verse to us, uh, probably the most famous words that ever fell out of Joshua's mouth. He talks to them about uh, who they're going to look to, who's in their wallet. And he says, don't worship the gods from across the river anymore. That's who Israel was, uh, you know, often guilty of looking to for what they needed. Don't worship the gods of the Canaanites that we just conquered. He, he says to them in Joshua 24, 15, choose this day whom you shall serve. But as for me and my house, say it with me, we'll serve the Lord. We're plugging into him. He's in our wallet. We're looking to him for what we lack. It's a daily decision that we must make. Because this is true. It's kind of the whole thing of what I'm saying to you this morning. We need the power of God to accomplish the purposes of God. Every time, all the time in life. If we're going to live out this life, he's designed it. And uh, partner with him in the things that he hopes for us and for those around us. We'll need his power to accomplish his purposes every time. I'm going to skip down to our story uh, for the sake of time. Uh, could go lots of other places in the Bible that, that support this truth that uh, we need to have the right source of power in our wallet, right? Uh, but we're going to see it play out in the story here of Saul uh, in these first hundred days of his existence, as I call them, as the king of Israel. Um, Let's just do a quick background check on Saul, though. If you've been here the last few weeks, we meet him. Uh, the way that we meet him in chapter 9 is that he goes looking for donkeys. His dad's donkeys have, have left the fold. And uh, does anybody remember, does Saul ever find the donkeys? No, if you're, if you're kind of new with us, uh, this guy Saul, who, as the Bible describes him, is taller than anybody else in Israel, placed center on their national team. Uh, he's also the best-looking guy in all of Israel, like uh, uh, Brad Pitt of Israel. If, if, if you're looking at Saul, you would think, that's who we want for king. That's who we want out in front of us. Um, but what we're finding out about Saul is even though he looks the part, he's not the part. Bad shepherd. Can't find donkeys. Uh, um, not a very religious guy, apparently, because he doesn't even know who Samuel is, really, or where he's from, even though he's just, you know, minutes from his house. His servant has to let him know about those things. He actually uh, gets face-to-face with Samuel in chapter 9, and he asks Samuel if he knows Samuel. Hey, do you know the seer? He says to Samuel, the prophet, or the seer. And Sam's like, yeah, you got him right here. Uh, Samuel lets Saul know that he's going to be king of Israel. Does anybody remember Saul's reaction? Awesome! Jackpot! Let's do this! Is that what this big, tall, handsome guy says? No, he says, oh, me? What? I'm from the least tribe in Israel, Benjamin. I'm from the least family in in the tribe of Benjamin, which is kind of a lie. His dad's got some coin. He lives on Davis Island. But uh, uh, he, he keeps giving excuses as to why he can't be the king. You got the wrong guy. Last week, Tom talked to us uh, about his anointing, his, his, his being set aside to become king of Israel. Uh, again, not super cooperative. When it comes time to introduce him as the new king, does anybody remember where Saul is? Hiding. He's hiding in the luggage compartment. You know, picture a seven-footer trying to hide behind a couple carry-ons. 
He's just dodging this king thing at every turn. He doesn't want to be a part. It tells us in that text that they took him and they anointed him as king of Israel. That, that word took means he didn't come willingly. But here he is. He's the king of Israel, freshly anointed. So what does he do? Well, he heads to the capital and he sets up his government. And he starts organizing how things are going to be as he's king. Is that what happens? Just so you know, it's not what happens at all. He heads back to his hometown, to who he was and to what he had done before. Because when we find him in the story we're about to read, he's walking behind his oxen. He's the, he's the farmer king. He went back to his fields, to what he was comfortable with, as he refused, in part, to become who God had anointed him to be. This is, this is the guy. This is, this is the man that God uses in our story to rescue the city of Jabesh Gilead. I tell you all that because you might be listening to this and thinking, yeah, Mark, that's great. The power of God can work through other people, but he can't work through me because I'm this, 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 and this, and this. And I've done this, 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 and this, and this. And, and we pay you to let the power of God flow you, flow through you. You're my representative, and I'll just hang out in my cozy black chair, and you do that stuff, Mark. That's why we gave you an office. No. Uh, the Bible uh, teaches that the, 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 the priesthood is for all believers. Every one of us is called to be used by God and for God as his strength flows through us into the situations he sets up for us. And so I'm talking about you. My little Saul, you may be a bad shepherd, you may just want to hide behind your oxen, but if God needs you, he'll find you, and if he calls you to do something, he'll empower you with what you need to get his will done. Let's read the story. It says, then Nahash, chapter 11, verse 1, Nahash uh, is a name that means snake, if you want to use it this week at work with someone, say, hey, Nahash. Uh, I don't think that's a good application of that, but uh, means snake. He's an Ammonite. Uh, just uh, east of modern Israel is a nation called Jordan. Uh, it's east of the Jordan River, and its capital is Ammon. Uh, we get Ammon from Ammonite. The Ammonites historically were the people who lived, here we go, uh, sea of Galilee, River Jordan, right, Dead Sea. Uh, the Ammonites were over here on the east side of the Jordan uh, in the southeast section, uh, just below a place called Moab. That's where this girl Ruth was from. But, uh, but they were the tribes or the, the peoples in place when Joshua and the Israelites crossed through the Jordan and take control of what is the promised land. And so the Ammonites had long been enemies. I did that first service. Enemies of, uh, of, of Israel. And they would seek wherever they could to take back their territory. And in this particular instance, that's what we see Nahash doing. He's the king or the general of the Ammonite army. And they go up and they besiege Jabesh Gilead, which is right over here, just east of the Sea of Galilee and the River Jordan, right up here. In the tribe that is Gad, if you care, if you're scoring at home. Reuben's down here, great sandwich. Anyway, uh, they go up and they besiege a, a town called Jabesh Gilead, a, a, a name that means dry hill country. I've been to Israel. It's accurate. 
uh, and all the men of Jabesh come to this, this, this general, this enemy general, a general, and they say, Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. We'll pay your taxes. We'll, we'll give you your, you know, your mafia protection money. Uh, whatever the case is, you can use our fields. Uh, we'll serve you. Just make a deal with us. Tell us what it is. Verse 2 gives us what Nahash offers. Nahash the Ammonite says to them, on this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I get to gouge out all your right eyes. <laughs> that escalated quickly. Does everybody see how that, that, that got, it, got out of hand fast, right? Um, he's like, yeah, we can make a deal. It's just going to cost everybody in Jabesh Gilead their right eyeball. Now, we don't understand, you know, this is uh, thousands and thousands of years, uh, you know, almost 12,000 years ago. Uh, in, in this culture, in this time, um, they would do these kinds of things. For the reason that he mentions, first of all, to humiliate Israel. It's, it's, a, it's a revenge ploy. You guys have taken our land. Uh, you've made us suffer as a people. And so I'm going to make you suffer. Everybody's right eyeball. But it's also strategic, okay? If the men of Jabesh Gilead are left-eyed only... Their depth perception is gone. In an age where it's hand-to-head fighting, uh, hand-to-hand combat, uh, bows and arrows, it's hard to aim a bow with one eye. It's hard to swing a sword with no depth perception. Uh, it's, it's hard to fight uh, if you are without sight. They still want them to be able to see so they can farm and do all the things that would serve them as the Ammonites, but they just don't want them able to fight them in the future. So this is what Naash says, I want to disgrace Israel. I want you to be impotent uh, as, as a threat. Right eyes. <laughs> so the elders of Jabesh get together and they say, hey, uh, Nahash, give us seven days respite that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we'll give ourselves up to you. Give me seven days, Nahash. Let me send you know, some emails. We'll, we'll tweet this out to the rest of Israel Hey, we're being besieged. Can you come and help? And if nobody comes and help, at the end of those seven days, we'll just give in. Now, it's implied here because we see that this goes into effect that Nahash and the Ammonites were like, cool. Why would they do that? Now, a couple reasons. First, historically, Israel had been lousy at coming to the defense of fellow tribes. The other tribes had just been like, hey, man, stinks to be you. Sorry about that. Hope you figure it out. And they had stayed uh, in their own territories and not come to the aid of each other. You can read the book of Joshua, Judges. Uh, the tribes became very territorial and did not go to help. And so the Ammonites are like, yeah, fine. We know how you Israelites are. No one's coming. Ask all you want. They're not coming to your fence. If anybody does come, we figure it's going to be so few that we'll just wipe them out anyway and it'll be a quick fight. And so for them, it totally, uh, you know, uh, is, is, you know, a positive for them to wait these seven days for uh, a defense that probably will not come because at the end of the seven days, Jabesh Gilead is just going to give up. We don't even have to fight. We're not going to lose anybody. And they'll take their right eyes and we'll have this land. Let's do, let's go. So verse four, when the messengers who had been sent by Jabesh Gilead uh, to the rest of Israel, got to Gibeah, the home of Saul. They reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. This was distressing news, certainly for those in Jabesh Gilead. But if the Ammonites were able to take over Jabesh Gilead, guess who might be next? Us. The war could visit us. 
Uh, we're fearful, we're, we're, we're you know, uh, um, put off and un, un, unsteady from this news. And so behold, verse five, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, the farmer king. Uh, and he says to them, hey, what's up? What's wrong with all these people? Why are they weeping? And so they tell him the news uh, that had been given them by the men of Jabesh. Here's where the story pivots. Because up until now, God hasn't been mentioned at all by the leaders of Jabesh Gilead. Uh, you know, in the story of Gibeah, everybody's freaking out and weeping. This is kind of how we roll as humans, isn't it? Let's try to figure this out. Let's try to work a deal. Let's try to manage this on our own. Oh, no, the sky's following. Everybody, you know, weep and wail and uh, assume the worst. But then here comes Saul, farmer king, behind his oxen. And when he hears the word, God injects himself into the story. And where God injects himself into your story and my story, things change. And things become possible that weren't possible. And, 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 and ideas of hope and, and peace become real where they were just, you know, figurative and theoretical before. Saul uh, is going to be infused with the power of God because God loves to use people like you and me and like Saul to accomplish his purposes. God gives us the power to rescue. Look what happens. Verse six, the spirit of God rushes upon Saul when he hears these words and his anger is greatly kindled. This hide in the luggage guy is now all of a sudden standing fully you know, erect. He's tall. He's, 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 you know, flexing his muscles. He's so angry, he's gritting his teeth. And his anger needs an outlet. Uh, all the people, all the PETA uh, members, let me just apologize for this next verse. Here it comes. Uh, he took a yoke of oxen, his yoke of oxen, and he cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers. And this was the message that he tied to the pieces of these oxen. He said, whoever does not come out after Saul, and then he name drops. Great play if you're a leader. Uh, he, he refers to the guy that everybody would know. I mean, I'm the new king, and maybe you haven't heard of me. Hi, I'm Saul. But Samuel and I are telling you, we're going to the defense of Jabesh Gilead. Uh, whoever does not come out, so shall it be to your oxen. Uh, he's not playing around. God's power infuses him, and in his anger, he sends this message. Now, in his um, yieldedness, one of the only times it happens in his entire uh, leadership story, um, God is working through him to rescue those in need. Uh, that's what happened in these stories that we celebrated as we began our sermon. Everybody knows that if anybody comes to Christ, almost always, I'm not saying that it isn't possible for someone to just kind of get a Bible and start reading it and read the right verses in the right order to understand salvation and choose it for themselves. I'm not saying that's never happened, but typically what happens when you and I find faith in Jesus Christ is that someone who already knew him comes to us and talks to us about him and lives in such a way in front of us that the idea of Jesus becomes something we'd we consider and it would even uh, be attracted to. And then when they sit down with us, um, God speaks through that person to the point where we receive God by faith in his son in Jesus Christ and we receive the salvation that only brings. He uses ordinary people like you and me to accomplish that in the lives of those who don't know him. Saul is experiencing that. 
I uh, had a buddy that uh, texted me right before I got up to preach last night. And he was just kind of going over, uh, you know, uh, something that had just happened to him yesterday. Yeah, he, he says, I'll, I'll read it to you. He says, uh, I just had a spirit-led moment with a man outside of Ikea, which is where you go if you want to see God work. I mean, uh, you know, Swedes and, you know, hard to put together furniture. It's all about. Um, uh, he says, I don't know what happened with all this. Maybe he'll tell me. Uh, and maybe I read it or, or, or other texts, but uh, this is what I got. He had, this guy asked me to pray with him about his life. And so we talked and we went deep. They talked about this guy's contemplation of suicide and, and things that had gone wrong, I, I perceive, in his engagement. And this is my, my favorite line that my friend wrote. He said, stuff poured out of me. Now, that's, to me, code for, I don't know what it was saying, but it was coming out. Uh, I wasn't in control. God is good. And then he finishes that one text with, man, now I am emotionally tired. Because it'll take it out of you to be used by God and to, to, to have his power flow through you in some conversation that makes a difference in the life of someone else. Yeah, it wasn't on his schedule, I'm guessing. It wasn't something that he had planned to do that day. But here he was. And just as it was with Saul, the power of God flowed through a normal dude and something happened at Ikea yesterday that moved the ball forward in someone else's life for him. Isn't that great? It's good stuff. And it's, listen, it's, it's a fairly normal, abnormal thing. And what I mean by that is, sure, it's not on your schedule today for that kind of thing to happen, but it could happen. Anybody going to Ikea? Or Publix? Or, I mean, I, I can't tell you how often. I've walked, you know, somewhere where I was just minding my own business and someone says, Pastor Mark, and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? <laughs> Nothing illegal. Okay, good. Yes, that's me. <laughs> and, and then off we go into some conversation that was not on the schedule. And it's quickly apparent to me that, oh, this is one of those appointments that I preach about. This is one of those moments that God has, you know, brought this guy's peanut butter together with my chocolate and we're going to make a Reese's cup right now. And, and we're going to see what happens as a result of God's purposes and his power flowing through this moment. That's what happened with Saul. And it produced the rescue of Jabesh Gilead. Uh, obviously, God didn't just leave it at Saul. He, he sought to involve other people in his rescue. God unites us uh, behind his missions, uh, his rescue missions in life. Look what happens in the story in the second part of verse 7. It says, God, you, uh, or the, then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. I love that verse. The dread of the Lord. This is one of those um, easily misunderstood uh, ideas. Everybody's like, oh, no, God's going to smush me like a grape. I mean, some Christians, that's how they live their life their whole lives. I just don't want God to smush me like a grape. I, you know, just don't hurt me, God, right? And they live in this dread or this fear. And certainly that's what it says there. Uh, but the, the message, as strong as it was, uh, you know, parts of an ox being used as an example, um, had led these people to what I would call, in other parts of the Bible, it's referred to as the fear of the Lord. Not the dread, like, I don't want to do this, but, oh, I'm not God. He is. And he's calling me to his service. And he's using this new king that, you know, apparently people wanted. Uh, but he's using this new king to, to, to bring about a new thing in our nation. We're actually going to go and defend one of our other tribes. I better be a part of that. And they rose up as one. You know, my, one of my greatest prayers for us as a church is, is that individually, each one of you, all of us, would grow in our faith in Jesus Christ, that we would be better disciples, better at making disciples, that individually there'd be progress in us spiritually. But my, 
My prayer for that uh, ends with this prayer. And then, Lord, unite us together in doing things together that we could never possibly accomplish as individuals. Take our collective gifts, like we're studying 1 Corinthians in my life group right now, and we're about to get into chapter 12, which is about the body. And there's many parts, but there's one body, and that's the church. We're all different. We all have different gifts as appointed by God and provided by his spirit. But God brings that puzzle of us together to accomplish things as his body that we as individuals couldn't accomplish alone. We see that in the story of Israel. It says in verse 8, when they mustered uh, at Bezek, uh, the people of Israel were 300,000. And the men of Judah, 30,000. Some people get stuck on that. This is a time of history when 1 Samuel's being written uh, that the Israel and Judah have separated as country. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so the writer of this history is basically saying, just so you know, uh, Israel, 300,000. Judah, the current nation, 30,000. But just read this. 330,000 uh, joined an army to go liberate Jabesh Gilead. You can read your whole Bible. This is the second largest mustering of troops in Israel in its history in the Old Testament. Uh, some of you are like, well, no big deal. I mean, we understand. Our army is a big army. And, and, and I, I want to thank again all of our folks who have either served or are currently serving in our military. God bless you. I appreciate your service, right? But, but let me just uh, remind you that this story is not our story. We have these established branches of the military, which people enlist in, go to academies to lead in, right? It's a well-oiled machine. We are the greatest military in the world uh, for a reason. We put a lot of money and effort towards being so. Are you with me? But Saul is a newly minted king in a nation that has never come to its own defense. And he has uh, sent uh, you know, parts of a cow <laughs> out to the, to the far reaches of his nation and said, y'all come. And they did. It's more like the Revolutionary Award in, the, the Revolutionary Award in America's history and the Minutemen. Just farmers, just guys who took the musket over uh, their fireplace and, and came to fight against the British Empire. But that's what we're talking about in Israel. And 330,000 of them come together to defend their neighbors. I'm going to read the story real fast uh, so we can get out of here. Uh, We've got a game to watch. Anyway, uh, they said to the messengers who had come, uh, these 330,000 now gathered under Saul, they go to the guys who were from Jabesh Gilead, take this back to the leaders there. Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. We're coming. We're going to take care of Nahash and all the Ammonites. You're good. And so when the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad Seems a little understated for me. Is everybody with me on that? That's it? Kind of a half smile? Yay. Scholars talk about why there wasn't more, you know, superfluous type language here, flowy language. Um, perhaps they were skeptical. You know? Yeah, we'll believe it when we see it. But they believed enough to do what they did next. Therefore, the men of Jabesh uh, went to Nahash and they said, tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. Tomorrow's the seventh day. Uh, we've been told that we're going to you know, be liberated, but uh, we're not letting you know that uh, tomorrow. If we get there and they haven't come, we'll do as you've asked. 
It says the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp of the Ammonites in the morning watch. Anybody know where the morning watch is? It's 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. Still dark where I live. That's some good tactics there by this new general king named Saul. And he comes at night. He also sent the message on ahead. Why? Because he probably wants the Ammonites feeling a little comfortable. Oh, Jabesh Gilead's going to give up tomorrow. Maybe we should go down to Dallas Bowl and uh, celebrate. It'll be fun. And so maybe that night all the Ammonites, you know, got a little lubed up and uh, they got back to their tents late and so they were tired certainly not expecting an attack and uh, attack is what they got. It says uh, that they were on and they struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day, just as they said they would. And those who survived, verse 11, were scattered. All the Ammonites that were left, they were scattered so much that there was no two of them left together. They just got away as individuals. It was a rout of the deepest kind. Buoyed by their victory, uh, some in the crowd wanted to ascribe uh, you know, their, uh, the, the glory for the victory to Saul. And, and so uh, maybe they weren't early adopters of Saul, but now they're all in. And they're so all in, they want to go after anybody who's not in Saul's camp, not on Saul's team, not Team Saul. And so this is what they said. Uh, the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, Saul shall reign, shall Saul reign over us? Who was it that doubted Saul? Bring those guys to us that we may put them to death. If you weren't here last week, they got this from what was reported to us in chapter 10. Uh, some worthless fellows in 20, verse 27 there had said, how can the man save us? This guy Saul that we just anointed king. Bad idea. Can't even find donkeys. Hides in the luggage. Doesn't want the job. How can we count on this guy to be our champion? They were so convinced and, 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 and so you know, done with Saul, they despised him. And they didn't even bring him a present on Inauguration Day. Man, Saul held his peace at that time. And so he's had this great victory. And at other times in his leadership, he will leverage that great victory for his own designs. That's why he becomes a bad leader. But right now, what's he full of? The Spirit of God. God's been you know, leading him as he's led Israel. And he's still leading him because this is what Saul says. He says, give God the glory, for it is he alone who rescues. Well, look at how he says it. He says, not a man shall be put to death this day. We're not killing each other. I'm not going after my political foes. It's not, it's not about that. We've experienced this incredible victory because today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. I was taught early on as a pastor that when someone compliments you, your first words are, yay God, and then go on with the rest of what you're talking about. But if you ever come to me and you say, Mark, thank you so much for this message or something that happened that I did, um, mark me, uh, check me, check my work. Uh, I think every time, if I didn't, it was my bad. Every time I say, yay God, and you might think that's a good holy, th that's why we like him, that's a good holy thing for him to say. It has uh, some to do with the rightness and the holiness of that statement, but everything to do with me not getting too far out over my skis, thinking I'm something when I'm nothing. Just so you know, if I ever say anything in any message that impacts your life, um, A, I probably didn't plan it. <laughs> Almost every time someone says, do you remember when you said this? I'm like, nope. I worked really hard on that sermon too. I mean, I, I crafted that one right down to the phrasing. And, and, and you're saying I said that and I have no recall. 
of ever saying that. So yeah, God. That, those ones are easy. I'm like, yeah, I didn't say that at all. That was God. But if I ever do say it, even if I planned it, the Holy Spirit was behind that plan. And if it helped you in your walk with God or in your pursuit of God or in your surrender to God, then that was him, not me, never you or me. Are you with me? So that's all I got for us this morning. And I come back to it one more time. What's in your wallet? Seriously, think about it. Because I know many of us are career Christians. We got the language down. We even have the accent that goes with it. We know how to look the part, how to post the part on our Facebook. We know how, we know how to do this. But behind our faces, in the parts of us that no one else can see, we have to wrestle with this. Who's in my wallet? Who am I trusting? Now, some of you might be here this morning and you don't know Jesus at all yet. Like, this is all new. And you're like, I've seen the commercial, but I don't understand what you're talking about. Now, what I've been trying to tell you is that God created you. He created you for himself. Sin has separated you from him. And so even though he's still sovereign over you, you are separated uh, from him by your sin. And the only thing that covers over that sin and builds a bridge, a bridge between us and him is his son, Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish because of their sin, but will have everlasting life. That's our gospel. I'm not going to tell you to jump through a bunch of hoops and achieve a bunch of religious achievements. I'm going to just tell you to have faith. We are not a do religion. We are a done religion. We believe in what Jesus has done. And it's by faith that we receive what he gives. So if that's you this morning, get the card. You don't even have the card yet. But if you're the rest of us, and you have Jesus, you still have the choice as to what you pull out of your wallet at any time. And you can choose him and his ways and his power to face whatever you're facing, or you can choose something that's gonna run out and be insufficient funds. Here's what I'm telling you. Choose the power of Jesus. His power is the only way to accomplish his purposes. Jesus is your cornerstone. Build your life on him. Can you stand with us as we sing that? Let's sing.